Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Brian Burkhart. As a 10-year-old speaking in front of his school, Brian experienced the impact of communications for the first time. Since founding Square Planet in 2011, he's consulted and and cajoled the most recognizable brands and people on the planet. Brian has helped Fortune 100 CEOs spur rooms of people to action and has helped sales leaders rethink everything and witness them land billions. Brian is also a keynote speaker, an author, producer, and chief word guy. Thanks so much for being here today, Brian. Thanks, Diane. It's good to be here. How are you today, by the way? I am well, thank you. And you? I'm great. I would rather be here than anyplace else. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that. (laughs) I hope you feel the same way by the time we're done. Well, we're going to (laughs) see. Okay. So let's talk communication. I love this topic. I think people struggle with it. And I would like to learn more about um, effortless communication in in the real world. Um, So let's start with, can you provide examples of like what effortless actually looks like in the real world? Sure. And I I would back up just to step up. Just so much. Um, my whole notion, Diane, is that the, the idea, it should look effortless, that when communication looks effortless, people notice, we lean in, we can't help but watch. And the opposite, of course, is that when it looks labor, when, it, when it's difficult, we push back and we actually sometimes do things like fold our arms and get defensive. And the best way to think about that is things like a sales presentation. When someone really has their stuff together, when they really truly look effortless when they have conviction, connection, and clarity of thought, suddenly we are hooked, we're in. Now, we may not buy, but we're going to give person that person at least enough time to do their thing. The opposite, of course, is very, very true. That if a salesperson is anything but clear, convicted, and connected, we are going to push back and say, thank you, no, thank you, I'm out. And we do that pretty quickly. Yeah. My whole notion of effortless is really the goal. Many of the people that I work with, both the organizations and certainly the people, they have this idea of, I got to be perfect. No, you need to be effective. And really, truly, the most way to be effective is to be effortless. It means you have to be prepared. It means you have to know your stuff. You have to be in the right state of mind, et cetera. Um, your question, of course, was, can I give you an example? What I'm going to do, yeah. though, I'm going to take you to the opposite because it's sometimes easier to okay. see. If people are at all interested, your audience, I would really encourage them to hop on YouTube and find October 28th of 2016 when Elon Musk, one of the most highly compensated people on the planet of all time, of course, the guy is loaded beyond belief, and yet he doesn't always look effortless. He launched a, a new product, a new company called Sunray uh, uh, Solar. What the heck was the name of this company now? I forget even now. Solar Home. 
And it was this notion of this really cool closed loop of sun, batteries, car, etc. And Elon was awful. It was awful. It was so labored. It was so painful to watch. And so my question is, if you could name SpaceX and Tesla and maybe the boring company, great, I get it. But I struggled even to come up with the name of that company because it's so painful that people pushed away. It never really took off. So that idea of effortless, it's really about being effective in the workplace in a variety of ways. It's not always so easy. It's easier to see the negative than the positive sometimes. That is for sure. I think because the the positive it's so natural that you don't even notice exactly it's it. happening right exactly yeah and of course it's a lot of work to make it look natural. Um, yeah. One of the things that I talk about fairly regularly, in fact, when I speak, when I get asked to speak at conferences, I use no slides. I use a few videos, but I am a ceramic artist. I am a potter. And so I bring my my pottery wheel with me. I throw a lump of raw clay on the wheel with the notion that eventually I will turn it into something beautiful, useful, etc. And I use that uh, as a device to basically showcase that to be effortless, one of the very first things you have to do is be centered. When you throw pottery, you throw that lump of clay on the wheel, it's a wobbly, gunky mess. And you have to manipulate it so that it's perfectly centered, perfectly smooth, perfectly present in the moment. It's perfectly ready to accept whatever I, the potter, do to it. We, as human beings, are the same way. When we connect, when we speak with clarity and conviction, when we're effortless, we have to fully be present. We have to be grounded and centered first. When you watch that Elon Musk video, you can see that he's got 12 billion other things going on in his brain. He didn't really want to be there. He wasn't fully prepared. It was a task, not an opportunity. All of these things, you can see it come alive. And it's even interesting in things like this podcast, I I just jumped into my little studio here from another project. I am not really fully centered yet, Diane. I have not taken the time to calm myself and be effortless with you. I'll get there by the time we're done, but I actually deserve, you deserve better of me. I know better. And yet still in my day-to-day even, it's hard. It's hard for people to stop and get centered. It's pretty real. Well, no kidding, because there are so so many things that we are dealing with at any moment in, in time um, and I, but I like this idea of taking that time and space to be centered because if it's worth having that conversation, then it's worth making sure that you're, you know, on your game, that that you're there right. with it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes That's a lot right. of sense to me. You know, the things like the, I'll go back to my Elon example. That one's very obvious, right? Because you yeah. can see the hundreds of people in attendance, the huge space that Obviously, they did all kinds of AV and setup. You can see people drinking and eating. I mean, one can assume quickly there's a lot on the line, real money spent, et cetera. And so it's easy to look at that and say, okay, I've got to work towards that. And in fact, like I'm working with my clients, a bunch of them right now, for very specific dates on the book. October 24th, doing a presentation in front of a thousand people. Okay, we can see that. Yeah. But those more nuanced ones, they're a little bit more subtle bit esoteric even, but it's the same. And so whether it's internal, external, if you're speaking with a group of your people or trying to close a sale to one of your biggest new clients, if you're not really there, if you're not centered and present, 
you're in deep, deep doo-doo. And it starts way before that actual interaction really kicks in. So it is an interesting thing, this notion of being centered. Um, it's got legs, it's got depth. But more often than not, people can see those big dates on the horizons, no problem. Yeah. It's those little insidious ones that get you, though. All right. But so so are there things that we can do to deal with those in, in the best possible way? Or is it a crapshoot? It's both. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, what can I tell you? No, for real. The The truth of the matter is, is that that notion of, of being effortless, of doing all the things, like anything, it's a skill that can be mastered. You have to obviously know all the parts and then make it a ritual, make it part of your typical normal routine. One thing for me, for example, and, and I mean, I get the chance to speak with people all the time, whether it's through podcasts on stage with clients, you name it, is I know my material cold. I have taken the time to really, truly be a student of the work that I spend my life's time on. And it's not something that I take uh, as just a known or for granted. I'm consistently, constantly looking at my work. Again, going back to my pottery, one of the things that we have lots of little tools and little gizmos to do things, but one of the most basic tools is called a wire tool. It's a piece of wire. And what you do is you take the wire and you just kind of scrape it along the bottom of the pottery wheel. And all of a sudden you take that piece of clay and you can move it from point A to point B. But I actually use it as a dissection tool. Let's say I'm making a bowl. I can take that wire tool and I can quickly cut that bowl in half. And it allows me to look and say, okay, how'd I do? Are my walls too thin? Are they too thick? Is the floor too thick? Is it too thin? How did I do? I can investigate my work using this one simple tool. That's a great example of what people can do in the workplace. How often do you really stop and dissect what you did right, what you did wrong on any given situation? Mm. I'll, I'll go back to salespeople. This is such a no-brainer, right? It's easy to look at wins and say, well, we of course, we were the right people for this one. But people should probably look at those losses too. What did I get wrong? What are the things that I missed? Where could I, have, where could I have improved the outcome, the chances of getting the gig? If we dissect our work, if we wire our work, we have a much better sense of clarity about what's really happening. You start getting consistent with things like being fully present, getting centered, checking our goods and our bads, our wins and our losses, and learning from those. And suddenly, we put things in practice that make us look far more effortless on the regular than by just random chance. Make sense? It does. It makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that. Thank you. One, you. one last one. Sure. I'm going to stick with pottery. Okay. Uh, it's an interesting thing because I think people inherently get it when it comes to the, the art world. It's things like if I gave you a little scribble, you'd say, oh, that's, that's cute. Thank you, Brian. But if I gave you a little scribble and it was hand signed by Pablo Picasso, we <laughs> would suddenly say, there's a lot more value to that scribble. Right ridiculous in some regard. If I gave you a football, great. But if it was a Tom Brady signed football, value. Right. How often do you really truly sign your work? And I mean it in a figurative sense in some regard, but it's really about taking responsibility for the things that you do. I mean, I kind of made an excuse and then said, it's really unacceptable that I'm not fully present with you just yet. I'm actually getting better. I'm feeling better. But <laughs> I was I was rushing from one thing to here. 
that's not fair to you. It's not fair to your audience. It's pretty typical, of course, for people. But I know better. I know that I'm going to sign my work and say, damn it, that's mine. Brian Burkhardt of Square Planet. Good, bad, and different. When you start taking responsibility and you sign your work like an artist does, I sign every one of my pieces of pottery. When you sign your work, you ascribe responsibility to yourself. That changes your attack strategy. You suddenly know that opportunities are those for the making. They're not tasks. This is not a task for me to be with you today. It's an opportunity. And I'm going to sign my work and say, darn it, I'm proud I'm here. That is a great visual. That that has a lot of impact for me. I think that makes a lot of sense. It definitely changes how you think about whatever it is you're about to do, if you're going to be signing your name to it. That's exactly right. I think where it gets really interesting, very much in the real world, is when mistakes happen. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. We are are human beings. I make about a thousand mistakes every day, it seems like. My wife certainly tells me I do, right? (laughs) And it's one of those kind of things where the biggest issue is when people don't own those mistakes and conversely don't learn from them. Um, I've had lots of employees throughout the years. And I think the big thing that I I always tried to communicate a lot of different things about what Square Planet stands for, what we're all about. We used to put beliefs all over the walls, literally like framed, designed, very clear core beliefs of things we're all about. And one of them was, I think, a, a particular favorite of mine was make huge mistakes, not little ones. If you spell my name, B-R-A-I-N, spell check will say that's no problem because it's the word brain. But my name is Brian, B-R-I-A-N. That little small mistake, that'll drive me crazy. (laughs) But if you make a huge mistake that's kind of out of nowhere and you own it, man, it's really hard to be mad. We kind of say, you know what? It happens. You chalk it up, you learn from it, you move on. But you have to sign it. You have to take responsibility for it. Little, middle, big. You got to own it. And when people do that, they really grow and they become far better people. They really, truly do. Well, I, I completely agree. And learning from it makes it not necessarily a mistake. It's just an opportunity. That's it. Right? Um, I'm going to stay with pottery just because it's fun for me. (laughs) You can't believe the number of mistakes that I've made. I mean, floppy bombs of clay goop that are useless. Can't use it for anything except maybe a doorstop. Those aren't mistakes. Right. They are, they are truly moments to learn from. I can always find something in that floppy bomb that I go, huh, well, you know what? If I don't do X the next time I'll be able to stop it from being a disaster. You learn from every one of those situations. Well, you have to want to as well. So that's right. That's sort of about outlook. So you mentioned core beliefs a minute ago and, and you talk a lot about core beliefs. So I do. Okay. Well, you know, what's the deal? Um, Core beliefs are really the foundation of it all. It's one of those kind of things that I think people inherently understand what this is and how it works. People understand. And when I say people, I often can be very interchangeable between individual humans and organizations that are made up of humans. Um, Core beliefs really are the foundation that all these things are built on. They give us the words and ideas that allow us to push people away that shouldn't be part of our world and attract those that should be. Mm. It It is the stuff that I spend the majority of my time with my clients on because it is also the hardest. My core v- belief, the thing that I'm all about, when really you look at all the parts distilled down to one, 
It's to elevate people. Everything that I do, everything is about elevating others. My job is to often hide in the deep, dark shadows and make other people look great through words, ideas, etc. And when I elevate people, man, do I feel great. It speaks to me. What's weird is that it exists in every facet of my world. I can tell you right now, I drive my wife and everyone else around me nuts, but every service person, waiter, waitress, you name it, they like me best. And it's not just I tip, but I actually make sure that they are seen, that they are heard, that they are valued, that they are recognized as other important, vital human beings. I minimize no one. I elevate. I don't eviscerate. That's what I'm all about. And so if you don't want that, guess what? Don't work with me. Yeah. But it's one of those kind of things where once I know that core belief, it leads to everything. The biggest issue I see consistently with both individuals at the highest of levels and certainly within organizations is I'll say things to them like, Diane, what do you stand for? What do you believe? And I hear, hamana, 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 hamana. They got nothing. <laughs> or they've got something so benign, so vague, so vanilla if they really stand for nothing. Mm. And so that is the thing where you pull those away and pull those in by using your core beliefs as this magnetic or pushing away kind of device. It's huge, but you have to get to it first. Why do you think it is that when you ask people that question, it's difficult for them to answer, if not impossible? Uh, because it's really freaking hard. It is really, really, really hard. Um, I wrote a book in 2019 called Stand for Something, which was really all about planting your flag around core beliefs. And it took COVID for my uh, company to, in many ways, just sort of implode millions of dollars of lost contract, letting people go, selling my office, all of the things for me to realize that my core belief was wrong in my book. Here, I wrote a book about it. It's that <laughs> important to me that I took all the time and effort to put a book together. It was a big deal. It was an Amazon bestseller, and yet it's not right. It's so hard. And if I'm the guy that talks about this stuff and does it for a living and I got it wrong, imagine Joe Average. Yeah. And so it's it's pretty real. The thing about it as much as anything is you can actually be aspirational. Even if you don't really know, you can kind of steal one. And that's enough to get you going. But really, truly, it's about taking the time, digging deep, really reverse engineering, if necessary, what your actions are, because our beliefs lead to our actions. We can easily see what we do, which can help us reverse engineer to the things that we stand for. Once you do all those things hmm. and actually codify those beliefs, man, oh man, it changes everything. I'll give you a corporate example. It's ridiculously silly, but you'll know what I mean. Mm -hmm. My hunch is that every one of your audience members will have heard about Jimmy John's, the sandwich company. Oh, sure. Jimmy John's. Yeah. Um, let me put you on the spot here, Diane. Is Jimmy John's the most delicious, ridiculously tasty sandwich you've ever had? No. Is it the worst, most awful sandwich you've ever had? No. No. Is it the most expensive? Oh my God, I had to take out a second mortgage to buy that sandwich. No. Is it the cheapest? There is no bottom. Uh, I mean, it can't get any lower. For pennies in your pocket, you can buy a sandwich there. No. No. Okay. So what we've established is that it tastes fine and it's middle of the road pricing, right? Yeah. Jimmy John's as an entity, they don't care necessarily. They don't stand on the notion of best sandwich, tastiest ever. They don't. They don't stand on the idea of cheapest sandwich ever or more expensive. What do they stand on? What is their core belief? 
Or Freaky Fast. Freaky Fast. If you have limited time, but you need food, bam, Jimmy John's is your answer. You know exactly what they stand for. Now, if you're a total gourmet, if you want the most delicious food ever, time isn't your issue. And so you're going to be like, you know what? Maybe not Jimmy John's today, maybe XYZ instead. But if you only have that tiny little bit of moment to eat, bam, Jimmy John's is your answer. They know what they stand for. They scream it from the rooftops and they magically pull people in. It's exactly what I'm talking about. And we as individuals can do this, but certainly entities can as well. Thank you for that example. That that is that's a great example of, of what you're talking about. Um, now, I have a question that um, takes me back to my brother when he was a little boy. Uh, explain to me how twenty thousand leagues under the sea has something to do with effortless. Uh, oh, I appreciate you asking this very bizarre question. Um, <laughs> I, like I, am, <laughs> I am. I am officially an old middle-aged white guy. Like I am that guy, right? Right. Uh, dad, bod, <laughs> and all. Um, but a million years ago, I was very fortunate to work at Disney World down in Orlando, Florida. Um, yeah, lots have changed in the thirty-plus years since I did that job. Uh, but that was one heck of an experience, Disney. Unlike any other firm on the planet, they really understand the notion of customer experience. And even though I was just a complete moronic 20-year-old idiot, it left an incredibly indelible impression on me. And one that has propelled the core beliefs I have as both a business owner, but certainly as a human being, but maybe more importantly, my actions going forward. Um, All of the things that I do, whether you came to my house on a social visit or the work that I do with my clients and on behalf of their clients often... The Disney experience made me recognize that so many little details matter. I drove the submarines at 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which was based on Jules Jules Verne's book of the same title. And it was things like the garbage cans at my attraction were matched exactly to the uniforms that I had on me. That kind of minor detail, that's what Disney does. They get that notion of soup to nuts, They have figured it out. And in many, many, many ways, the work that I do to make things look effortless is to find all of those hidden little things, all of those little details that keep us going, man, that's amazing. When those details are not checked, when those boxes are not checked, that's when we maybe can't find words, can't put a finger on it, but something just seems off. It seems labored. You cruise through an attraction at Disney World and you just go, man, they have thought through everything. Because they have. Right. That that's effortless. I so for see. me, it goes way, way, way back. Yeah. Most yeah. of us I'm old now. Well, <laughs> speaking of going way, way, way back, uh, you frequently mention the ancient Greek scholars. But how do you how, how do you put that in, you know, 2023? Yeah. Timing. Um, this is an interesting one. So you did a nice job in your intro of kind of teasing this idea that I was a kid, um, as a 10-year-old, I had a chance to run for student council president. I was in fifth grade, and then I was going to be in sixth grade. And so at the end of the school term, we had elections. And I remember standing up in front of my entire school, and I knew in the moment, I mean, like right then and there, as I was doing the speech as this little tiny guy, that I was going to win. Um wow. 
my running mate was my very close friend. His name is Jim. Jim and I uh, absolutely won in a landslide. It was a no-brainer. And it was not because I had some amazing skill set or because I had this amazing campaign to have only recess and uh, pizza every day. <laughs> it, it, it was just one of those things that of all the kids in the school at that moment in time with no real knowledge of what I was doing or how it worked, I had some ability to stand and deliver a bit of a message. Well, that led me down the trajectory that here I am today, 40 years plus later. And what I have learned is that, yeah, there was a little bit of skill that I just had handed to me, thankfully. But the ancient Greeks, think Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, these were smart dudes who spent all their time figuring stuff out, like the basics of rhetoric and persuasion. Literally thousands of years ago, these guys figured out how humans hear, feel, and interpret messages and things around them. And people will hear these words and go, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Ethos, logos, and pathos. That was the ancient Greeks. They understood that those are the ways that we take in information. But to your question, I mean, that's that's great. Those are fun words, but what does it really mean? Mm-hmm. Well, to translate those to 2023 into a more modern sort of time, I always want the people I work with to consider the notion of what do you want your audience to know? That's with a K. What do you want them to feel? And what do you want them to do? That's ethos, pathos, and logos, the ancient Greeks today. Know, feel, and do. And just consider the idea that if you've got to communicate and you want to make it effortless, if you've got to connect with your audience, if you want to really move them to action, wouldn't it be pretty great if you started with the notion of going, huh, what do they need to know? Again, with a K. What do I want them to feel? And then most importantly, what do I want them to do? So many times, one, often two of those things are left for chance. They are not part of the equation. We are typically bombarded with no's, again, with a K. We very rarely get feels, and almost none do people actually proactively add a do. I need you to go do X. (laughs) When you do all three, effortless starts to come to the surface in the most beautiful, amazing way. And it's those ancient guys back in the day in togas that figured it all out. Wow. Wow, that's great. That is great. Along the, the this line of um, effortless and and the, everything we're talking about, you also distinguish between effective from perfect. So, can you elaborate on that for the listeners? For sure, um, this is something that seems to come up in my world with so much regularity. Um, mm. and, and honestly, I don't remember the, the genesis of this. I just know at some point these words came out of my mouth and people gave me the look like, yeah. And so I ran with it. I, I think as much as anything, um, we do have this hardwired thing. We are aware that we are being judged by our audience. And again, this could be an audience of one. It could be one person that you sit side by side with. It could be an audience of 10,000. Everyone's situation is different. Internal, external, I don't care what it is. We do recognize that we are being judged. I mean, the minute you hit send on an email, as soon as someone reads that, they're judging the things that you said. It's what we naturally do. But not just that judgment side of the equation, but there is a deeper sense of I've got to be perfect. And really, we want that. We want people to think of us as incredibly capable, smart, kind, funny, all of the things, right? 
And yet the truth is, again, we make lots of mistakes. And so I have tried to work with people consistently over years now to say this goal of being perfect that you have falsely in your brain, you need to hit the eject button on. It's a ridiculous goal. Mm -hmm. What I want you to be is focused on the idea of being effective. Effective means you're you're gonna you're gonna stammer a few times. You're gonna misspeak a few times. You're gonna have fill words. You're gonna get lost a little bit. You're gonna be a bit not perfect, and yet you're still gonna be remarkably effective. I watch all the videos when when there are videos of the presentations that I do, and it's not because I want to see how great I am. It's because I want to take a wire to my work. I want to go. All right, what did I screw up? Mm. And I'm always amazed by how often. I make mistakes. And I'll give you a weird one. I, I recognize this was a long time ago, actually, that especially on um stage that has a lectern, a podium, which I never stand behind, never use, yeah. I, I can find myself getting really cozy. Like I'll lean and I'm, I'm like at a 40 degree angle. And it's one of those kind of things. It's like, oh my goodness, I look so comfy up there. And it's just this natural place for me. So I am comfy. But it's one of those kind of things. I, I can really look at that and I can say, okay, maybe my body language isn't so good. Maybe it's mm -hmm. not so cozy to the audience. Maybe it looks like I don't care, right? But then I start looking and go, okay, wait a second. Are they leaning in or are they getting defensive? Uh, are they, is, 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 which one's going on here? Yeah. What I'm recognizing is that is not perfect by all measure. I mean, think about like if the president was doing the state of the union and they were <laughs> leaning casually on the lectern, that wouldn't be great. Right. But in this case, I know it's not perfect, but it doesn't mean it's not effective. Mm. My comfort on stage leads to one of my three C's and that is of high connection. People are comfortable because they see my comfort. Right. It's not it's not labored. So they do lean in and it works. Big difference between effective and perfect. And really, truly, truly, I admonish people uh, when I work with them, get rid of this notion of being perfect. It's ridiculous. I think that is really great. I think it is it is so much better to strive to be effective. I think it's also so much easier, obviously. I mean, there's no such thing as perfect. So you're, it's like you're setting yourself up for failure constantly. But if you focus on being effective, then in a very weird way, you really are being perfect because you're delivering the message that you want to be delivering. People are receiving it because of that connection. So you're still hitting the mark. It's exactly, exactly right. It's not an excuse, by the way, to be lousy and unprepared. I have a, I have a t-shirt. Yeah. I have a t-shirt. I, I, I should have wore it. I love this t-shirt. I've actually used it on some presentations. The t-shirt says, I am not for everyone. Yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty great t-shirt. And my wife will very quickly say, it's not an excuse for bad behavior. And she's right. <laughs> right. And it's, it's, it's not, I still yeah. have to be, still have to be a, a decent human being, yes. but I am not for everyone. The stuff that I teach, the stuff that I believe, the stuff that I push, right. it's not for everybody. And that notion of, I, I don't have to be perfect. That doesn't mean you can take it lax or lightly. It doesn't mean you can't do the work. It doesn't mean you can't spend the quality time and build the right parts, have the proper structure, do all the things. It just means you don't have to be exactly spot on to right. still be effective. 
Right. Because boy, you so get in your way when you're trying to be perfect. And then that can, it, it can really backfire on you and make it so much worse. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Brian, this is really valuable. I'm so grateful to you for um, coming on and sharing this information with my listeners. Will you tell them uh, you know, how they can find you and whatever you've well, got going on you think they should know about, please? Absolutely. Well, and again, I really appreciate the chance to be with you and your listeners, Diane. So thank you for that. Um, my company, Square Planet, it's easy to remember if you just think round earth. <laughs> and so <laughs> just check out squareplanet.com and you can find me on LinkedIn. Excellent. Wonderful. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. So uh, once again, thank you. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzoir, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you wanna learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.